0: David Platt, who is an a author and a pastor, told a story one time about being in an airport. And as he was sitting there waiting for his plane, he overheard a conversation. There were several people, clearly from um, different church and religious backgrounds, and they were talking about, in their different uh, religion, how they get to God so they were kind of talking, and it became apparent as they were having this conversation that the idea was that God was up on a mountaintop and that everybody in the world was kind of around that mountain trying to find a way to God. And by the end of their conversation, they had come to this place, kind of almost like patting themselves on the back, that, look, um, we're all down here, and, and whatever path you find up that mountain, that's okay, because you're going to get to God eventually. And, and so they kind of consoled each other with this idea that that however you get to God, you're going to get to Him. If you're trying to get to Him, you're going to get to Him. Everything's going to be okay. So it doesn't matter what religion you follow. It doesn't matter what path you take. Eventually, you're going to make it to God. Well, David Platt listened to this for a while, and then he went to them and kind of chimed in, and he, and he said, "Do you mind if I add something to your conversation?" Couldn't couldn't help but overhearing you, and they said, "That's." that's fine, what have you got to say? And he said, it sounds to me like when you talk about God, he's up on this mountain, and you're trying to get to him, right? And they said, yeah, that, that's the way it is. And, and so no matter what path you take, eventually you're going to get to God. And, and, and they said, yeah, that's kind of the idea, that, that it may be difficult and, and it may be different from somebody else, but eventually we're all going to make it to God. David Platt thought for a minute, and he said, what if I told you that God isn't on a mountain waiting for us to find a way to get to him. He actually came down the mountain to us. How would you feel about that? And they said, well, that, that would be fantastic. That would be great. David Platt said that's the difference between Christianity and the other religions of the world. We're not trying to earn our way to God. We're not trying to climb the mountain to get to God. He actually came to us. He walked in our shoes. He closed the distance because he knew that we couldn't. There's a bunch of shoes up here on the stage. They represent a bunch of different people, a bunch of different backgrounds and and histories, different stories, different hang-ups and habits. Maybe some of the stories that these shoes could tell would be similar to yours. Maybe not. Jesus didn't just... A mile in our shoes. He walked 30 years in humanity's frail shoes. Jesus knows what it's like to be poor and hungry. He knows what it's like to have family and friends reject you. Jesus knows what it's like not to have to pay enough, not to have enough to pay your taxes. I hate to bring that up a couple months early, but it's coming, folks. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed by a friend. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted by sin. Jesus knows what it's like to be weak and helpless and hopeless. What Jesus doesn't know is what it's like to sin. Though Jesus experienced every aspect of our humanity, he did not give in to sin. He suffered through our pain and our problems, but he did not sin. And so he's the perfect sacrifice. He's the perfect example. So our bottom line today is this. Jesus experienced our weakness so that we could trust his wisdom. He experienced our weakness so that we could trust his wisdom. No matter what you have seen in your life, no matter what abuse you've suffered, no matter what injustice you've experienced, what failures you've had in, in your shoes, Jesus has walked with you. He understands our, our frailties, He understands our failures, He understands our frustrations. That's why He came. Jesus came because we're weak, because there's no way for us to climb the mountain to get to Him. He came to us and experienced life in our shoes. Today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. Remember, I think it was last week or the week before, I told you that, that we're jumping all around. There a bunch of different uh, passages, a bunch of different places in the Bible this year at Christmas because we're kicking a bigger picture. The, the Bible or, or the, the, the story of Christmas is, is bigger than the baby I said last week. And and so we're taking this bigger view of what it meant for Jesus to come as a baby. So Hebrews chapter 4 will be in today. You can follow along on your mobile device, uh, reallifecc.us, my message notes. Just click that link. It'll also be up here on the screen. So here's what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 14 of chapter 4. Therefore, since we have a great... High priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know, you and I are too weak to get to God. We're too sinful to be perfect, we're too proud to be humble, we're too stubborn sometimes to be obedient. But we are not too sinful to be saved, because our salvation is not based on our weakness or our strength, it's based on Jesus' sacrifice. When Jesus came to earth as a baby, God clothed himself in our weakness, and in doing so, he made it possible for us to be clothed. In Jesus worth he paid for our sin he took our punishment he hung on our cross he took on our humanity so that he could give us his eternity and because Jesus experienced our humanity yet did not sin he is able to offer us what we could not earn you get how that works how important it is that Jesus came to earth even as a baby. Sometimes we wonder, why in the world did God make this plan? Why did he cause it to happen this way? This is why. So that Jesus could experience our life. He could experience our temptations, our frailties, our situations, our difficulties, our problems. And he could overcome them. He could be this perfect example for us, but also through his perfect humanity, through the the, the path that he took to the cross, he would be able to pay our debt and take our place. He's able to offer us what we could not earn. But that's not really the best part of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 is much, much greater than that. So I want to look at um, the next verse, verse 16 of Hebrews 4. It says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Okay, remember what he said last time, right? That Jesus experienced our weakness, but unlike us, he didn't sin. He was was perfect. And then he says, now we can, let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We've been talking in this series about how to live a life of more and and what that looks like for you and I. We've talked about several things already. If you want to live a life of more, you've got to give and serve and and love like Jesus, right? We have got to do these things, uh, give and serve and love more because God's not looking for people who are wonderful. He's looking for those who are willing, willing to serve, willing to give, willing to love like Jesus. And if we want to live more we've got to get real before we can heal because you can't be who you are in jesus if you don't ditch who you've been a lot of people you know they come into church and and they try to add jesus on you know like the gravy to your mashed potatoes like mashed potatoes are good right like i could eat them plain but gravy makes them even better and sometimes we try to add Jesus. We try to add church on the top to make our lives better. We think, oh, this is great. But we keep all the other stuff in our life. So we know that in Christ, for us to really be at a place where, where God can use us and we can experience real life, we've, we've got we've to ditch some of that stuff of, of who we've been that's keeping us from experiencing that real life in, in Jesus. It's the beauty of this gift of Jesus we celebrate at Christmas, that not a single one of us is worthy, which means none of us can ask for more, and nobody receives less. The gift that we have in Jesus is exactly enough for each of us. And so we each approach God's throne with nothing to offer him except ourselves. Now, I've, I've done a lot of funerals in my 21 or so years of, of preaching. Um, probably close to 100 now, I think. Um, done a lot of them. And I could always tell um, whether this was going to be a difficult funeral or an easier funeral when I would walk into the family uh, and meet them for the first time, often meet them for the first time, and, and just have a conversation. What what was, you know, your, your what, what were they like? And if the first thing that the person said was something like this, well, he or she had given the, given you the shirt off their back. They were such a good person. they just do anything for anybody. I knew that this was probably going to be a tough funeral. But if I walked in and said, tell me a little bit about the one who's passed, they say something about, um, you know, they love Jesus, they were in church, they were committed to serving, or giving or whatever, if there was some connection to church, I knew this is going to be a much easier funeral. It's because a lot of people think that we can earn our way to heaven, that we can climb that mountain we talked about in the beginning. And if we do enough good stuff, if we give enough shirts away, if we give enough jackets away, if we give enough away, that God will let us, like, we'll get to God, we'll climb the mountain, we'll earn our place in heaven. But it's not true we each approach God's throne with nothing to offer him. There's nothing that we can do that would be good enough to get us on the escalator that takes us up the mountain. It's not possible. Look, no one is more important to God than anyone else. And and so no one is is in this place where we can say, well, I'm better, because we all bring the same thing. We all bring nothing to God. So look, Joel Osteen is not worth more to God than you are, because God could turn any one of us into Joel Osteen. Each one of us has worth, not because of who we are or what we've done, but because Jesus died for each of us. So we bring nothing to him, and that's exactly what he wants. He wants us to understand that we're not going to earn our way to God, and we're not going to be able to present ourselves to God and go look at this list of things that I've done good. Look, I I gave money on these Sundays, and I served on these Sundays, and I was nice to this person. I helped that little old lady across the street. You know what God's going to do if we say that to him? (laughs) He's going to open up the list. Of things that we've done wrong. And, and I guarantee you, it's way longer than the things that we've done right. Every thought, every action, every word. There's He's like, look, what, the, there's, no, there's no balance here. There's no scale here. We all come to God with nothing. But we have worth because Jesus died for us. God's perfect sinless son gave his life for each and every one of us, and that makes each of us worth Jesus to God. You you get that? When God sees us, he doesn't see us. Like, it's the beauty of God that he can do this, and we can't do that. I look at somebody who's harmed me in some way, and, and I see that harm, right? I look at somebody who's done something against me, who's said something against me, and I see that, I I hear that when I talk to him. It's difficult for us to separate those things, but it's not difficult for God. When God looks at us, he doesn't see all the huge list of our sins. He doesn't see the list of good things. When he looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus. And so we're worth so much to God because he sees Jesus in us. So, when we approach God's throne, it's not called the throne of judgment. It's not called the throne of condemnation. It's not even called the throne of mercy. It's called the throne of grace. And I even did a quick search this week to to, to see okay, is there any other place in the Bible where the throne of God is called anything else? The only other thing that I could find in Scripture that the throne is called is the throne of majesty. It talks about God's throne. It's called the throne of majesty, and only one other place, here in Hebrews 4, it's called the throne of grace. And I think that's amazing, because we've been talking in the series that so many people, we, we invite them to come to church, and they say things like, ah, I can't go to church, you know, the walls will fall down, the place will catch on fire, whatever, I've just done too many things bad. And we go, wait a minute, God's throne isn't called the throne of judgment. That we would be scared when we got there, like, oh no, God's going to get mad at us or whatever. It's not called the throne of condemnation. Romans says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's called the throne of grace for a reason. And so really there's a, there's a difference, I want to make sure we, we catch this, there's a difference between mercy and grace, right? It's not called the throne of mercy, it's called the throne of grace. I think there's a very particular reason for that. Mercy means you don't receive what you deserve. So you get that? You're a little kid, and you've, you've done something wrong. you got gotten a cookie jar, and you, and you broke it, you knocked it off the thing, and it broke, and mom's mad, and you go to her, and you deserve to be whatever you do, like whatever mom did. My mom beat the tar out of me. She spanked me. Um, But today, that would be, you know, bad. So um, she spanked me. With a a thing, uh, uh, I probably told you about this. Uh, We had a wooden paddle. It was three-quarter inch thick, solid oak. Uh, It was about two and a half feet long. It had a handle carved into one side. My parents put a lot of time and energy into that paddle. It was in their hand a lot because of my older brother and sister. Uh, On one side... Uh, one side, the paddle mom had written in permanent ink uh, for naughty PKs, uh, uh, preacher's kids, right? And on the other side, um, because she's uh, loving and maybe watching this, um, she wrote uh, uh, Curtis, Connie, and Corey. <laughs> Just in case we would forget that that paddle belonged to us. Uh, yeah, interesting. So mercy means... You don't receive what you deserve. You come to mom, I broke the dish, you deserve to be punished, and mom says, instead of punishment, I'm going to do something else. But mercy still has a negative connotation to it. Because when we come to the throne of mercy, if there was such a thing, our sin would be presented. Here's all the things that Corey's done wrong, I just wouldn't be punished for it. That's mercy. Do you get that? Here's, you've done stuff wrong. We're not denying that you've done stuff wrong. We're just not going to punish you for that. The throne of grace is different, though. Grace means that you receive what you don't deserve. And that changes the game completely. Because grace says this, the focus of grace is on the gift, not on the guilt. And When we approach the throne of grace, God's not there going, look, here's all the things you've done wrong, but I'm not going to punish you for those. He's saying, here's this incredible gift of life I'm going to give you. And your guilt, and your shame, and your sin, that doesn't matter. We're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this incredible gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And we go to Romans then, and, and, and we read this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And, and so the throne of grace means that there's this incredible gift, and that's the focus of the throne of, of grace. Not our sin, not our shame, not our guilt, but the gift of God in Jesus. I think that's incredible. The writer of of Hebrews who who wrote this, who called it the throne of grace. By the way, we don't know who the writer, the author of the the book of Hebrews in the New Testament is. Some believe it was Paul. They say that it kind of looks like a letter that Paul may have wrote. but, But Paul put his name on every letter that he wrote. So I find that hard to believe. Some think it might be somebody else. I think it's likely that Priscilla from Acts 18 maybe wrote the book of Hebrews. And back in that day, even though women had had, had gained a lot of of prominence in the new Christianity, this new religion that's coming up, women had a lot more options there. It was still a male-dominated world. And so I think Priscilla knew that if she put her name on this letter, nobody would read it. I'm excited that we get the chance to read this, and I think it would be pretty cool if she was the one who wrote it. Regardless of who the writer of Hebrews is, they open the door to this incredible saying, then, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. And that's so cool because if we go back to verse 15, The writer points out our weaknesses, right? He says, look, there's this weakness that Jesus experienced, our, our weakness. And the writer then goes on to talk about how, how Jesus has been tempted and not given in to temptation, and that really you're supposed to think when you read that about all the times you have given in to temptation. Like you read that, Jesus understands our weakness, he can empathize with our weaknesses, because he was tempted in every way, and we go, yeah, that's me, but I gave in to those temptations, and then the author adds, but he did not sin. And We're supposed to go, oh yeah, J- Jesus didn't sin, but I did. We're supposed to get that understanding. We're supposed to understand that that the author is kind of drawing this line and going, look, in your weakness and temptation, you gave in to sin. Jesus, in the weakness of humanity and temptation, didn't sin. Even in our weakness and our sin, even though we're weak and sinful, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. We go, How? How in the world could I approach God's throne, that perfect, holy, awesome God sitting on his throne? In fact, when the prophet Ezekiel saw that, he was terrified. How could we approach the throne of God, of grace, with confidence? We are unworthy, and we should be unwelcome in the presence of a holy God. So we go, how how, how does he mean that? He talks about our weakness. We understand that we give in to temptation and we sin. And so how are we supposed to then approach the throne of grace with confidence? I think the only way that that's possible is through Jesus. Right? We're weak, sinful. Jesus experienced our weakness but did not sin. So our confidence is not in our own worth, our own purity, or our own righteousness. It's in his worth, his purity, his righteousness, the gift of God we celebrate at Christmas, it's in the hope of of Jesus we can approach the throne of grace and we go, look God, I'm nothing, I bring nothing to you, but I've I've got this friend and his name is Jesus. When God looks at us, that's who he sees. Through that gift of Jesus, we receive mercy when we deserve death and we find grace though we've earned suffering. And, and all of this that the writer's talking about points to something beautiful that I don't think any other religion really, really deals with. That this mercy and grace from God is there to help us in our time of need. I think that really is, a, is an important part of 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 what the writer is saying here. Yes, we're talking about Jesus and how he's pure, he's never sinned, he suffered our weaknesses, but he never gave in to that, and and we can approach the throne of grace, but then we get to the end and it says, look, you experience this grace and this mercy to help you in your time of need. Christmas is a time when we come together with family. We, We kind of take a break, right? During this time, we kind of, take a break from our troubles. (laughs) We still have troubles, right? We still have marriage troubles, and we still have financial troubles, and we still got work troubles, and we still got car troubles, we still got all those troubles, but somehow at Christmas, most of us find a way to kind of set those aside. Like I know the bills are coming in January, but but right now in December, right here at the end of the month, I'm not going to think about that stuff. We simply determine to enjoy the time we have together. But there's some who don't look forward to Christmas. For some, maybe even for you here today or maybe you watching online, Christmas will remind you of a family member that you've lost. Maybe a spouse, a parent, or child. For some of you, this Christmas is going to bring memories of behaviors or addiction uh, in this past year that's, that's burnt one too many bridges. So instead of enjoying Christmas with those that you normally would, you might be on your own. For still others, it might just be stubbornness, maybe some sin or selfishness that may lead to a lonely Christmas. Maybe in your mind you've done nothing wrong, but nothing has gone right. You're still alone. I want you to know that the writer of Hebrews gets that. What he's writing is for for those of us who haven't lived a perfect life, those of us who've been weak when we wanted to be strong, those of us who gave in to those things instead of standing up to them. This this passage here in chapter 4 of Hebrews is, is not about those who get it all right. It's about those who've done it all wrong. And those who've done it all wrong bring the same to God as those who think they've got it all right. We both bring nothing. No matter what your situation, Jesus doesn't abandon you when you're in need when you fail or fall or sin. Jesus doesn't point at you and, 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 and give you a list of all the things you've done wrong and the reasons why you're in the place you're in. He simply reaches down and helps you up. He shows up with grace, not guilt. Now, I, I got to tell you, this Christmas season for you may still be a tough one. Because of divorce, maybe because of God's discipline in, in, in your life for some reason, maybe drug use or relational damage that you've caused, or, or maybe just the decisions that you've made over the year. But your difficult situation doesn't mean that God's abandoned you. You know, many people avoid God, I think, when they're in need for a couple different reasons. Maybe they blame God because of the situation that they're in. And, and it's always interesting, like we know that, that it's our own decisions, it's our, it's our own choices that get us in those difficult situations, but we don't want to blame ourselves and so we blame God. And, and, so, and so maybe that, I don't, I'm not going to go to God because I'm blaming Him for everything that's wrong in my life. Or maybe they think that they've just messed up too big or too much, for God to overlook it. Hebrews reminds us that Jesus came because of our weakness. I think that totally changes the game. We don't have to feel sad that we weren't strong enough to get to God. We can go, God understood my weakness. He came to me because I'm weak. That totally changes the picture. Jesus came because of my sin. Jesus came because I couldn't get to him. Jesus came because I was going to screw up, because I was going to say those things, because I was going to do those things. He knew it. And he came for me. His throne is not called the throne of sarcasm. It's not called the throne of reality or even the throne of justice. It's called the throne of grace. That's exactly what God wants to extend to you today. Mercy and grace in your time of need. Look, if you're in need, the answer is simple. Reach out to Jesus today. If you're suffering because of your actions, your attitudes, your addictions, if you're sick because You miss your family or your loved ones who are gone. If your sin has caused you to stop crying out to God or seeking help or hope from Him, you need to know that Jesus wants to help you in your time of need. He came because you're weak. He came because of the sin. He came to do what we couldn't, not with judgment or condemnation or punishment, but with mercy and grace for each day. You know, not calling out to God when you're in a difficult situation is, not, is like not taking hold of the life preserver when you're drowning in the ocean. It doesn't matter what is there. If there's any hope of being saved, you grab onto that with both hands and you hold on. See, God knows that you're weak, that I'm weak. He knows that you're sinful. That's why he sent his son. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It makes all the difference in the world so that instead of punishment and separation, you could approach the throne of grace with confidence. Confidence in his great love for you. Confidence in his forgiveness. Confidence in his ability to save so that what you'd receive from him is mercy and what you'd find is grace in your own time of need. Look, Jesus isn't waiting for you to be perfect. He came in your weakness with grace and mercy in hand. He's walked in your shoes. He knows your struggles. There's more to your life because Jesus not only came to you, he came for you canceled your debt. He credited your account. Jesus makes you worthy. You just have to approach the throne of grace. You just have to take that step. You just have to be willing to take a hold of what he's come to give you. And the Bible says that you do that in a very, very simple way. You believe believe you believe that this stuff we talk about with jesus that he came to earth as a baby that he lived a sinless life even in the midst of his own humanity and and weakness that he died on a cross to take our sin from us to pay our price and that he rose from the dead three days later to give us the hope of new life you believe and and really it's not that difficult A lot of people ask me, how do I know? How do I know when I'm there? Here's how you know. You're going to be sitting one day and listening to a song or in a message or in service or talking to a friend, and the light switch is going to go on. And that's going to be it. Like the sky's not going to part, balloons aren't going to fall, God's not going to come to you and go, hey, it just happens. It happens because there's a grace that comes to us through Jesus It says it doesn't matter all that other junk that you're trying to wrestle with. And I I think what happens is we come to this point where we go, this idea of Jesus, this hope that we have in him is greater than my sin, my struggle, and my junk. That's when we believe. We come to that place. And if you, that's you today, if you're, if you're believing for the first time, or maybe you're believing again, you've been kind of away and doing your own thing, we want to know about it because we want to help you take your next steps in Jesus. And so we want to know that. You can let us know by going to reallifecc.us and clicking on the I'm Ready link. You can also stop back at the Connection Hub after church and tell them that you're ready to take your next step with Jesus. Friends, this is why. This is why Christmas is important. It's not the presence under the tree. It's not the presence of family and friends. It's the personal love of a personal Savior. And church, this is why we exist to help every person possible find real life in Jesus and look more like Him every day, to experience the more that God has to offer when we do life together and together with His Son. More people need to know that there's hope for them in their time of need. We're here this morning celebrating this this forgiveness that we've been given, this grace and this, this mercy that allows us to approach the throne of grace with confidence in our time of need, and yet there are thousands of people outside the walls of this church who feel like when they approach God, they're going to get judgment. And they're going to get condemnation. Do you want to know part of the reason they feel that way? It's because that's what they've gotten from the church. That's what they've experienced when they walked in the doors of the church And they felt like everybody was looking at them. Everybody was judging them. Everybody was saying, you got earrings, you got tattoos, you got this or that. You're not good enough. When all along, we all bring the same to God. We all bring nothing. And so, church, we've got to take this Seriously. This year there will be plenty of condemnation. There'll be plenty of discipline next year from God. There'll be plenty of justice handed down in different places and means. Let's make sure that those who are lost and hurting and hopeless know where they can receive mercy and find grace. Because they have the same right to it that we do. And they'll find it the same way we have. They'll find that real life in Jesus. Our role is to help them see it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day, for your incredible love. For this family that has gathered here, I thank you, God, for the way that, that the people of real life have extended their arms to those in, in difficult and frustrating circumstances and situations. I thank you for all the stories of people who have walked through our doors and said, For the first time in church, I didn't feel judged, but I felt welcome. God, would we continue that? Not because we're, we're better at it, not because we're good, but because you're good. Because we bring to you exactly what everybody does. We bring nothing. We have been saved by your mercy and grace. We want others to experience that as well. Father, let this be a church. Let us be a people. That says to everybody, no matter their history, their hang-ups, their hurts, their habits, we say to everybody, look, around the table of Jesus, there's room for you. Yeah, you're weak. Yeah, you've sinned. But Jesus came and lived a perfect life so that he could give you real life because you can't earn it. So God, we come to your table. We sit with you. We celebrate you at this Christmas time because we've received this incredible gift. Help us to see that gift given to many, many more. And we'll give you the glory and the honor for that, God. In Jesus' name.
1: Let's stand as we all sing this last song together. We all start on the outside, the outside looking in. This is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give all oh, the shape that we were in, and just when all hope seemed. These liars and these thieves, there's no one unwelcome here. And that sin and shame that you brought with you, you can leave it at the door and let mercy dry you. To the table, come to the table. To the thief and to the doubter, to the hero and the coward, to the prisoner and the soldier, to the young and to the older, all who hunger, all who thirst, all the. La- All the paupers and the princes, all who fail you've been forgiven, all who dream and all who suffer, all who loved and lost another, all the chained and all the free, all who follow, all who lead, anyone who's been let down, all the lost you have been found, all those labeled right or wrong. down
0: you go because i'm going to assume it was the weather that caused some of you to not be here five minutes before church so you can see the announcement video I'm just going to assume it was the weather uh so um today if you want to give to the uh, gift cards uh for some families uh today's the day to to do that um or the, the last day really i mean you could give whatever but today's the day uh so that don't forget next sunday Crazy Christmas Sweater Sunday. Wear your crazy Christmas attire Uh, when you come. We're going to have a hot chocolate uh, next Sunday morning. So it's going to be all nice and Christmassy. Uh, And then Tuesday is our Christmas Eve service at 7. Invite some people to the table for those two services. Um, And don't forget that next Sunday is our uh, annual Christmas offering. So we're receiving that for our building fund. uh, And so I hope to see you back here next week, December
2: 22nd. Love you. See you next time. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. If you'd like us to pray with you, click the prayer request tab. If you like more info on t- taking your next step with Jesus, click on I'm Ready on the Next Step tab. There's a lot more ways you can connect on the website, so take some time poking around and then let us know how we can serve you. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central, on Sundays at 10 a.m. God created us to be in community with one another and we believe that being in church is a great way to build that community. Until then, we hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.